Live as children of light. And find out what pleases the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and, and in his, his mighty, mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, against the, the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the powers of this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. darkness but rather expose them. Expose them. Expose them. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand, stand your ground. ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place. With your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Stand, Stand firm and live as children of the light. Stand firm and live as children of light. Stand firm and live as children of the light. Stand firm. Well, we are beginning a brand new series this weekend that we are calling Dangerous Living. And so if you uh, happen to be here for the first time at Grace or you, it's your first time back in a while or if you're joining us on live stream for the first time, you came at a great, a great time. Uh, and the reason is because you're catching us at the beginning of a five-week conversation that we're going to be in, a five-week series uh, that we are calling Dangerous Living. Now, some of you might see the title, and you saw the bumper, and you're like, okay, so what are we talking about here for the next uh, five weeks? And, uh, and so today, uh, my hope is to really kind of introduce you, in, introduce you to that, to what we're going to be dealing with over uh, the course of this series. I thought maybe a good place to start would be to start with this premise. So here's, here's the premise that I want to begin with that I think is going to set the tone for this whole series. It's this, something has gone wrong in the world. I just want to start with this premise. Here's my proposal. Something is terribly wrong in the world that we live in. And my guess is that probably all of us in this room would agree with that, that when we look around with us, we would affirm that it seems like that we are all suspicious of this fact, that it seems like something has really gone wrong in this world. I mean, as beautiful as this place is, and as, as many uh, amazing, beautiful, wonderful things we see happen in this earth that we see on, uh, on this earth, in this world, I think all of us would look and say, it does seem like there's just something that's the matter. Now, of course, what I'm articulating right now is a problem that's not new. And this is actually something that philosophers and theologians throughout history have called the problem of evil. And the truth is that throughout all histories of humanity and all cultures that we've seen in humanity, everyone has pointed out this particular problem. It looks like, it seems like, there is something wrong with and in this world that we live in. Because when we look in the world, what do we see? Well, I mean, even right now, if you look into the world, what do you see? Well, we see division, we see hatred, we see war, we see crime, we see injustice, we see prejudice, we see broken families, we see poverty, we see sickness, we see pandemic, we see tragedy, we see death, we see the twisted, sick, demented things that human beings do to each other. And as beautiful as this world is, I think all of us would look and say, man, there is something, there is something that is wrong. And the interesting thing is, it seems like over the course of time and as we progress as, a, as humanity, things don't really seem like they're getting much better. In fact, some might even argue it looks like in some ways things are getting 
worse. And it appears that it doesn't matter how educated we become. It doesn't matter how many pills we prescribe. It doesn't matter how many elections that we hold or how many laws that we pass or how many government programs that are funded or how many technological advancements that we make. It seems like we just cannot seem to diagnose and we cannot seem to overcome this problem. There's something wrong in the world. In fact, I might take it a step further, and I might further propose to you that not only is there something that's gone wrong in the world, I think that there's something that's gone wrong in us. I think that if we were really honest, that some of us would look and we would say, man, when I look into myself, when I look into my own heart, it seems to me that there's something that's not quite right. I think all of us have felt at times the inability to stop ourselves from doing hurtful and harmful things to ourselves and to others things that we know we shouldn't do, things we don't even want to do, and yet we find ourselves sometimes powerless against those things, seemingly powerless against those things. There's certain patterns of behavior. Maybe there's certain uh, actions that we take. There's certain addictions that we have. And logically, it makes no sense. And, and we don't want to do it, but we find ourselves over and over again tempted and trying to resist the inclination to do it. Um, I think for those of us who follow Jesus who are here today, which by the way, I know that not everyone who's here today or everyone who's watching today is a follower of Christ. Some of you are still maybe investigating spirituality and you're maybe exploring Christianity. And uh, by the way, if that's you, we, we say this every week and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. We count it such an honor that you would let us be part of your, of your exploration process. And we know you could go anywhere uh, in your exploration, but the fact that you'd let us speak into that really means a lot. But I think for those of us who follow Jesus, it doesn't, take following Jesus, it doesn't take following him very long for you to realize that there is resistance in following Christ, that pursuing intimacy with Jesus happens in the context of adversity, right? That it's like, man, I, I know the things that God wants me to do, and I know the things that I want to do, and yet it seems like there's like this other thing at work. And so I, I wanna read my Bible. Like, I know that's important. I wanna do it. And yet it seems like whenever I do, there's all manner of distractions and competing affections that show up in that moment. I know that it's good to be with God's people, and I know that that's a priority that God wants for me, and yet there's just such a resistance sometimes to actually do this. There's a good that I want to do, and yet I feel like I just can't seem to do it. Now, let me just say that if anything that I just said right now resonates with you at all, if you would look and say, yeah, man, I think, there, gosh, there's something wrong in this world. Man, I would even say, it looks like there's something wrong in me. And, and as I follow Christ, there is a resistance. There's a struggle. There's a war that takes place. If, if you feel that, if you resonate with that, let me just say that, that that's actually what we want to talk about for the next five weeks together. That's what we want to talk about. Because I believe that what the Bible is going to do is the Bible is going to help give language and it's going to help give answers to what that is. What is that? What is that struggle and what is that tension? Let me tell you what we're gonna do for the next five weeks. For the next five weeks, we are going to dig into eight verses of the Bible. Eight verses over five weeks. And the verses we're gonna look at are in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 to 18. In fact, if you got a Bible, I would encourage you right now, I want you to open it up or open up your app or whatever and get to Ephesians chapter six. If you didn't bring a Bible with you and you'd you like to use one, there's some under the chairs, by the way, at least if you're in the room. And uh, those, of course, are sanitized, and you can use one of those. And let me say, too, that if you don't own a copy of the Bible, feel free to take one of those home with you. We'd love for you to have, have your own Bible. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 6. Now, the reason we're looking at these eight verses is because these eight verses contain within them the central teaching in the entire New Testament 
on the topic of the nature of this battle that we're in. And so this is, these are kind of the premier verses that speak to this tension. It's gonna help us understand the battle that we face, and it's gonna help us know how we can fight within it. What do we do about it? And that's what this passage is gonna tell us. Now, let me just say, like I said, it's a five-week series, and so this is the first week. My hope is just to introduce this whole topic. And so today what I wanna do is I just wanna introduce us to the nature of our battle, all right? So I just wanna lay some groundwork for weeks to come, and I wanna talk about three realities, three realities about the battle that we face, all right? So we're gonna see this here in Ephesians, and let me just tell you what they are. Here's the, here's the three things that I want us to see today. The Bible's gonna teach us that, number one, this battle is spiritual. The Bible's gonna tell us, number two, the battle is methodical, that it's methodical. And, the, and this passage is gonna tell us, number three, that the battle is personal. So these are the three things that I wanna talk about we're gonna see right here in the Bible, in the book of Ephesians, okay? There is a tension, there is a struggle, there is something wrong in this world, there is something that's not quite right in us. Where does that come from? Where is that struggle? Where is that tension? The Bible's gonna say there is a battle and the battle is spiritual, the battle's methodical, and the battle's personal. All right, so let's talk through those things. Let's just start at the top. This whole idea that the battle is spiritual. I want you to look at verse 10 with me. So let's just start at the very beginning of this passage. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. All right, so let's just hit pause there because uh, the, these three short verses we looked at, there's a ton, you can tell, there's a ton that we can talk about in that passage. But j- just to make one very simple observation first, I think what you see in this passage is that the Bible's gonna tell us that this battle, uh, there, for as much as we don't know about it, we know this, we know that it's spiritual. We know that it's spiritual. Look at the, look at the language that the apostle Paul uses, the, one, the, the author of this passage. He said this, he said that our struggle that is our battle, right? our tension, our war, is not against flesh and blood. That is, it's not simply physical. It's not simply empirical. It's not simply flesh and blood. It's not just human, so he's gonna say. But, notice this, but it's against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly realms. What's he talking about there? Well, here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, our battle, our struggle is not simply physical. It's not simply empirical. It's not simply analyzable. It's not simply flesh and blood. He says there is a spiritual aspect. There is a heavenly aspect. There is an unseen aspect. When the Bible says dark world, the word dark literally means unseen. When, you, you know, when something's in the dark, you can't see it. And so, so what, is, what is Paul saying here? here? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, yes, yes, something has gone wrong in this world. And yes, something has gone wrong in us. And yes, there is a struggle. And yes, there is a battle. And yes, there is a tension. And he's gonna say, and there's way more than meets the eye. There's way more than meets the eye. Now, just to be clear, I don't think the Bible's gonna say that that it's not denying that we don't have physical problems. We do. And it's not denying that we don't have real issues with real people because we do. What the Bible's gonna tell us is it's gonna say that there is a deeper underlying source that's contributing to those struggles, that's contributing to the battles that we face. And here's why this is so important. The reason I think this is so important, what Paul is saying here, is because if you don't understand the source, you cannot properly address the problem. 
I think all of us know this. If you don't, if you don't understand the source of something, you can't properly address the problem. Uh, maybe a good way to illustrate this, I was thinking about this, uh, this hypothetical scenario this week. So I want you just to imagine this with me, all right? I want you to imagine that I wake up and I go into my kitchen first thing in the morning. And there in the middle of my kitchen is this giant puddle, all right? So big puddle of water, very complex diagram here for you, okay? So there's a puddle. Now, uh, inexplicably, there's just this puddle in the middle of my kitchen. There's no, there's no obvious reason why it's there. Now, let me ask you, uh, what do you think I'm gonna do? Well, I'll tell you what I would do, and this is, I'll just be honest. What I would do is I would clean it up. Right? I would wipe it up. I'd mop it up. And quite honestly, if it was my house, I wouldn't actually think a whole lot about it. I'd probably clean it up and go on with the rest of my day. Even though I didn't know where it came from, I would just assume, I have four kids, so I would just assume it was probably something with one of them. I probably wouldn't even question the contents of the puddle because I wouldn't even want to know. I'd be like, I bet you know it's better not to know. So I just clean it up and I go on with my day. All right, now, once you imagine the next day I get up, wake up first thing in the morning, go into my kitchen. There again, same size, same place, is this inexplicable puddle. There it is. Well, now what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to mop up the puddle. But now I'm going to start to say, now hold on a minute, there must be something more that's going on here. What is the source of this puddle? And I might look around, and I might not see anything. And I might be going, huh, I don't know how that got there, but it got there somehow, and I just don't know. And so let's say the next day, I just go on, I'm like, well, hopefully it goes away. Next day I wake up, same puddle, same place. Well, now I'm going to start to say, okay, I'm going to clean it up, I'm going to mop up the puddle, but now I'm like, I am dedicated to getting to the source. Where is this coming from? And you know what I might even do? I might, I, I might even break apart my ceiling. I might say, you know what? Maybe there's something happening up here. Maybe there's something happening in an unseen place that I don't see that's creating a real on-the-floor puddle right here. And so, yes, I'm going to mop this thing up, but if I never get to the source, I might spend the rest of my days doing nothing more than mopping up puddles. Because if you don't understand the source, you can't deal with the real problem. Now, listen, if you can get your head around that, I think here's what the Apostle Paul is going to say. He's going to say, listen, if we are going to overcome the struggles that we face in this life, if we really are, he says, then we, 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 we need to learn to not simply deal with them on a surface level. We do not simply deal with them in the flesh and blood. See, Paul's gonna say this. He's gonna say that, yes, yes, there is that which is seen, that which is flesh and blood, that which is empirical, that which is human. But he says, but our struggle, our battle is not simply flesh and blood. There is a spiritual, there is an unseen contributing component that is at the source of what's causing some of the issues that we are facing right now. And if you don't understand this, and if you don't deal with this, the Bible's gonna say, if you don't come on this level and deal with the issues that you're facing in your life, he says you are liable to spending your whole life modifying your behavior and just mopping up puddles. You spend your whole life mopping up puddles and never deal with the real issue. Now, now listen, I know for some of you, that might sound so weird and it might sound so strange to you, but here's what I'm gonna ask that you might consider as we talk for the next five weeks. I want you to consider this. Is it possible, is it possible that the biggest struggles and the biggest issues that you are facing in your life right now, that maybe, maybe there's more than meets the eye to those things. The, the biggest struggle, just think about it, the biggest battle, the biggest struggle that you walked in those doors today with 
Is it possible that maybe it's more than flesh and blood? Maybe it's more than just that person. Maybe it's more than just that issue. Is it possible that there's more going on? Is it possible that that tension that you're experiencing with that person right now that opposes you, that voted differently than you, that you're disagreeing with and you're at odds with, that you're arguing with in your mind all the time, is it possible that the struggle that you have is beyond just a struggle with a human being? Is it possible that there's a spiritual component that's contributing to that? Is it possible that in your marriage, the coldness that you're feeling in your relationship, the distance that you're feeling, the fighting that's happening, is it possible that maybe, maybe there's more going on and there's a spiritual component to that? Is it possible? Is it possible that the addiction that you're facing right now, and maybe for some of you, there's a substance addiction that's happening that maybe no one knows about, or maybe for you, it's, it's a sexual addiction. Maybe it's pornography or something like that. Or maybe for you, there's an eating disorder that you, no one knows about, but you just can't seem to get, get out of the fight. Is it possible that, yes, there's a physical component to that, but is there more that's speaking into it? Is it possible that maybe your depression or your anxiety that you face, that yes, there, yeah, there's a physical aspect to that for sure. Yeah, definitely. But is it possible that there's another contributing influence that's happening spiritually? I'm just asking you if you'd be willing to consider that because here's what I'm gonna tell you is the Bible is going to teach that that's true. That there's a spiritual reality that lies behind our struggle. Let me tell you why I think this passage is so important. I think this passage is so important because what it does is it helps us put a face to our enemy and it helps us put a location to our fight. Now here's something I believe with all my heart. I believe, I believe that when we properly identify our enemy, we can rightly locate our fight. You know, I think we're always trying to put a face to our enemy. We're always trying to, to, to identify who the enemy is. And depending on how you identify your enemy, it's going, to, it's, gonna, uh, it's going to affect the way that you fight. It's going to affect the location of your fight. And so if you think that your enemy is that person, well, then you're gonna believe that your fight is with that person. That's the person that your fight is with. If, if you think that your fight is against a political agenda, then that's how you're going to fight. It's going to be a political fight. If you think that your fight is with a substance, then that's where you're gonna fight. You're gonna fight against that substance. And I think what the Bible's going to tell us, what we're gonna see in this passage is this. You ready for it? For those of us who follow Jesus, Paul's going to tell us this. He's gonna say, our enemy is the devil. And the place of our fight is in the spiritual places, in the unseen places. Now listen, I know, I know. Now, when I say that, there's some of you that just immediately, whether physically or just in your own, you know, kind of, you know, in your own head, are like rolling your eyes. And you're like, oh, okay, I see, I see. Okay, so we're gonna be talking about the devil. Mm -hmm. The devil's the one, that's what we're talking about. Some of you are thinking, oh, I see what just happened. I see, it just happened right now, I just saw it. This is the moment we just became a crazy church, right? That just happened right now, didn't it? We're a crazy church now. And um, so let me just say that if that's your natural inclination when I say, that our enemy is the devil and that our fight is in the spiritual places, if you're like, okay, man, that's just wild. I understand that. Uh, this is one of those topics that's often met with a lot of skepticism. But I think it's really important that we talk about this. You know, C.S. Lewis famously said in his book, Screwtape Letters, he said this. He said that as it relates to this topic, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devil's. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other one is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. 
I love what he said. C.S. Lewis said, there's two, there's two errors that Christians tend to make on this topic. One is that there's an unhealthy interest. We become obsessed with this topic. And the other is that there's a denial. We just deny that it's real at all. We just pretend like it doesn't exist. So one is that there's an unhealthy interest. And I think some of us know this, and maybe some of us are in this room are like this way, that there's an inclination sometimes to be overly obsessed with spiritual warfare, right? To be obsessed with this topic. There are some that would say that everything bad and everything scary and everything unwanted in our lives is caused because of the devil, right? It's caused because of demons. And so a person like this, their motto might be this. They might say, hey, when in doubt, cast it out. That's my motto. There's a demon behind everything. And so if I go to the store and I'm gonna go pick up milk and they're out of milk, well, the devil's working against me, right? And I need to denounce the demon of milk thievery or whatever it is, right, or something like that. So there's some people who do some weird stuff. There's some people who will use spiritual warfare as a way to, to just get around personal responsibility. So someone might be in debt and spend money that they don't have, and then they would say, well, the devil made me do it. I wouldn't have done it, but the devil. And so I'm just a helpless victim. It's not that I was making poor choices. It's not because I, I, you know, I, I don't need to take personal responsibility for my actions. It's that the devil made me do it. And so people can get into some pretty weird and unhealthy places with this. I think all of us know this. There is some really wacko stuff out there as relates to the topic of spiritual warfare. Just go to Barnes and Nobles and look in the spiritual warfare section. What are you gonna find? You're gonna find all manner of crazy. And there's gonna be people who said that they died and they went to hell and they came back and they wrote a book and they were sold millions of copies somehow. And there's just this weird fascination and interest in this topic. So for some people, they fall in this era. There's unhealthy interest and obsession but there's also the second one, and that's denial. That's denial. And I honestly think that for most people in our society, for most Christians in our culture, we probably tend to fall here. But basically, that there's just, as it relates to this topic, there's just deafening silence on the issue of spiritual warfare. I think, honestly, many people who are followers of Christ, maybe even some of you, maybe you've never heard a teaching on, on Satan. Maybe you've never heard a teaching on spiritual warfare. It seems like this is one of those topics that really just doesn't get a lot of airplay uh, in our churches. And quite honestly, I think that maybe for many of us in this room who follow Christ and many of us who are connecting online right now, we might even say that we believe in these things, and yet we live as if they're not real. We live as if they're not true. That was interesting. Uh, George Barna, who is a statistician, he, he basically studies American Christianity. He actually pointed out in a study he did 10 years ago he said that, uh, that the majority of American Christians, according to his study, do not believe that Satan is real. And so I think this is one of those issues that a lot of us fall in, into this. We, we, it's this place of denial. Now, now, here's what I want you to see. I believe that both of these errors are, in fact, errors. I believe that. And even though they're very different, they actually have one thing in common. And what is the one thing they have in common? Both of them edit the Bible, Right? The first one adds to what Scripture says. The second one subtracts from what Scripture says. And what I hope that we'd see, even through this series, is that, yeah, there's a lot that the Bible doesn't say about this topic. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot that's a mystery to us. But at the same time, what I, what I hope you see is that there's a lot that the Bible does say about this topic. The Bible speaks quite a bit about it. In fact, just to give you a snapshot, the spiritual warfare in the Bible did you know, for example, that every New Testament author, every single one of them mentions spiritual warfare at one point or another? 
that you know in the Bible that the person who spoke about spiritual warfare the most was Jesus Christ. So for those of us who follow Jesus, the author of our faith spoke more about this topic than anyone else in scripture over 100 times. Did you know that 25 to 30% of Jesus's miracles and interactions involved demons? Did you know that? Did you know that Satan is mentioned over 250 times throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, 250 times? You know what that equates to? Almost once per chapter, he shows up. Did you know that the Bible contains 196 verses about angels? About half of those, 103 of those are in the Old Testament. The rest of them are in the New Testament. Did you know that 34 of the 39 books of the Old Testament talk about angels? Listen, I could, I could give you more than this, but all, all I'm saying is that the same Bible, the same Bible that says that we should love one another, which I think all of us like that part, and the same Bible that says that we should practice justice, which I think we're all excited about that part, the same Bible that says that we should forgive each other, which I think we all like that, at least in theory, we like that, right? That that same Bible that teaches on those topics teaches extensively on the topic of spiritual warfare. In fact, in some cases, I would say that the Bible teaches more about this than it does other important topics like the ones that we just mentioned. And so all I'm saying is that to deny spiritual warfare would, to be, ne- would be to neglect a major theme that we have all throughout scripture. And so I believe, I believe that if we take the Bible seriously, that means that we have to take this seriously as well. I love the way one, uh, one scholar put it, a guy by the name of Michael Heiser. He wrote a great book called The Unseen Realm. And in his book, he said this. He said, somewhere along the way, I came to believe that I didn't need protection from my Bible. And so let me just kind of tell you that if you're new to Grace Church or you're just kind of getting connected, let me just, just kind of tell you one thing that's true about us. What we believe here at Grace is we believe that the Bible is actually God's revealed word to us. And because we believe that, we believe that the Bible is the place that we go to best understand who God is, to best understand who we are, and to best understand reality, to give us a worldview of how to interpret and understand the world. And because of that, we believe that what we need is not protection from our Bible, but we need to understand what it teaches. And it teaches extensively, extensively about this topic. So the Bible's gonna tell us this battle, this battle, is spiritual. Here's the second thing we're gonna see in this passage. The Bible's gonna say this battle is methodical. This battle is methodical. Now you're like, what does that mean? Okay, well, go back to our passage with me for a moment. Notice what he says in verse 10 and 11. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against, now I want you to notice this, against the devil's schemes, is what he says, the devil's schemes. Now, this is actually a really interesting word choice, and we're gonna talk more about this in the weeks to come. But what I want you to notice about this word, the word schemes is actually a Greek word that we get our English word method from. So it literally means methods and it means strategies. Here's what the word means. It means following an orderly and technical procedure and the handling of something. And so what's the idea? Here's the idea, is that we have an enemy and he has schemes. That is to say, he is methodical. He is strategic. He is crafty. He is cunning. It is thought through. It's not haphazard. And so the Bible is going to tell us that part of this battle is that it is methodical. There are schemes to this enemy. We'll talk about more of those 
in weeks to come. But I also want you to notice that the Bible's gonna tell us that not only is there, not only is there method to all of this, there's also structure to all of this. I want you to notice what he's gonna say in verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against, now notice these words, it's against the rulers, it's against the authorities, it's against the powers and, uh, of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly realms. Now, what are those words about? It talks about rulers and authorities and powers and forces and realms. Well, scholars are actually gonna come and they're gonna point out and they're gonna say that what this is referring to, this language, is it's referring to what the Bible teaches, and that is that in this unseen world that exists, that apparently it is structured. There is organization to it. There is hierarchy to it. Now, we don't, we don't fully understand how it all works because the Bible's not gonna tell us how it all works, but the Bible's going to tell us that there is order and there is structure and there is hierarchy to this. So, for example, I want you just to imagine, think about in our own government here in the United States, in our own government, what do we see? We see that it's ordered. We, well, maybe. We see, that it's we see that it's structured. There's hierarchy, right? So you have mayors, you have governors, you have senators, you have a House of Representatives, you have the Senate, you have a president, which I, I think we have a new president. I'm, maybe we do, maybe we don't, but it seems like we maybe have a new president. And so we have all of that, right? And it all works together. And we pass laws, and there's order, and there's structure, and there's all of that behind it. Well, if you can get your head around that, the Bible is going to tell us that there is the same kind of order and structure and hierarchy in the spiritual realm. Now, again, we don't understand it because the Bible doesn't fully explain it, but it tells us that that's real. In fact, did you know the Bible actually tells us a good amount about the unseen world? It actually tells us a lot. In fact, I just wanna give us eight facts about the unseen world throughout Scripture. So the best that I can understand it, here's just a glimpse of what the Bible is gonna teach on this topic. All right, so first off, here's what we know. The Bible's gonna teach us that before the creation of the world, heavenly inhabitants already existed. So I don't know, did you know that? Job 38's gonna tell us that when God created the earth, that the heavenly hosts rejoiced. And so apparently there was already heavenly inhabitants that were already there when God was creating the earth. So this whole realm predates us and it predates the earth as we know it. Did you know this? The Bible's going to tell us that the heavenly realm is structured and it is ordered. Just like I mentioned, it's gonna use words like uh, authorities and powers and rulers, but it's also gonna say in some of these passages, it's gonna talk about things like heaven's army. It's gonna talk about things like the heavenly hosts. It's gonna talk about things like a divine council. What's all that talking about? I don't really know, but apparently there's a structure to all of how this works. Did you guys know this? Did you know in the Bible, throughout the Bible, that there are many kinds of angels that are in the heavenly realm, the Bible's going to explain that there's a ton of different kinds of angels. Did you know the word angel? I thought this was interesting. Did you know the word angel is actually a really generic word? It just means messenger. That's all it means. And so, and so like, if I was to say the word to you, maybe the equivalent would be, if I said the word animal to you, you know that that represents a whole bunch of different things. I'm talking about a whole kingdom when I say animal. And so if I say, I saw an animal the other day, You'd be like, what, well, what kind? Are you talking about, did you, did you see a chihuahua? <laughs> did you see a sloth? Did you see a shark, right? I mean, they're very, very different. And what I want you to understand is that the Bible's gonna say that there's a lot of different kinds of angels. And so throughout scripture, you're gonna see, for example, there are archangels. 
So Jude 9, it's going to talk about Michael, who apparently is called the ruler of angels. So he's got some kind of authority somehow. I don't know how it works. Uh, the Bible's going to say that there are seraphim, cherubim. These are angels that apparently exist in God's presence. They're apparently mag ma magnificent beings. I don't know. what They all have their own job. They have their own appearance. They're, they're, they're all very different. The Bible's going to say that there's heavenly beings that are just called the living ones. I don't know what that is. The Bible doesn't explain it. It just says that there's living ones that are surrounding God's throne room. And so the Bible's going to give us indication. Now, again, I know, I know, even as I'm talking about this, this stuff, some of you guys are like, man, this is so weird. This is so, I've never heard about this. I don't even know if I can mentally make the jump and go with you into this place. And let me just say, I think that the question that underlies this whole topic is this, is do you or can you believe in the supernatural? I think that's really the question that underlies this whole topic. And let me just say that if you're a person who believes in God, or at least you're open to the belief in God, I think that the answer to that question is that yes, you do believe in the supernatural. If you believe that there's a God, that means that you believe there is an unseen being who has created everything and has created you as a rational person. And so all I'm saying is, is it possible, is it possible that that same God also created other rational beings? Is it possible that maybe he's done the same way that he's created you and he's created me, that he's also created angelic beings? You know, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I love the way one commentator, his name is Charles Hodge, put it in his book on systematic theology when he was talking about this very topic. Here's what he said. After studying the Bible, he said, there's every reason to presume that the scale of being among rational creatures is as extensive to that as the animal world. He says, listen, when I read the Bible and it explains these different angelic beings, he says, I think it's reasonable to say that God maybe has created as many rational creatures as extensive that of the animal world. And again, I think it just opens us up to think differently. So the Bible's gonna teach us this. There's many kinds of angels in the heavenly realm. Here's the fourth thing we know. We know that there was a leading angel. Later, of course, we're gonna call him Satan. And the Bible's gonna say that he was a guardian cherub. So Ezekiel 28 is actually gonna outline for us a little bit about who he is. And the Bible's gonna tell us that he actually was a certain kind of angel. He was a cherub, which I know when, when you think of cherub, what do you think of? What do you think of? I know what you think of. You think of a naked baby with wings, right? That's what all of us think of. I don't know where that came from, not from the Bible, but I guarantee you that is not what Satan looks like, all right? I just guarantee it. So, but uh, the Bible's gonna say that he was a guardian cherub. He became intoxicated with pride in himself, which ultimately led to his rebellion. The Bible's gonna tell us that there was a rebellion that took place in heaven. Revelation chapter 12 is going to explain more to us about that rebellion. It's gonna tell us that when Satan rebelled against God, he actually deceived a third of the angels into following him. And so the Bible's gonna tell us that he actually deceived a third of the angels who the Bible's going to explain later become demons. The sixth thing we know is Satan was defeated and he was cast to the earth along with the rebellious angels who then became demons. This helps us make sense of why when humanity was created and Satan was already on the scene. So if you've ever read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see that God creates the heavens and earth, God creates humanity, and then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the enemy is there. The Bible tells us there's a serpent there. How did he get there? Well, we're not told in Genesis chapter 3, but the rest of the Bible tells us there's a whole backstory of how he got there. And so he's there. He's there on the scene. Of course, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes and he tempts Adam and Eve. He deceives them, and they end up joining him in his rebellion 
The Bible tells us that in rebelling against God, humanity forfeited their dominion over the world. So when God created mankind, he created us to have dominion over the world. And the Bible tells us that when we rebelled against God, that somehow we forfeited that dominion. And so now the Bible is going to say about Satan, it's gonna call him the ruler of the air. It's gonna call him the God of this world. And so, so, so what the Bible is gonna teach us is this, is that when humanity sinned and when we rebelled against God, that all of a sudden Satan, sin, and death entered into the human story. And so now when we look into the world, what do we see? We see that there is something wrong in this world. And when we look into ourselves, what do we see? We seems like there is something that's wrong with us. There is a tension, there is a struggle, there is a battle. And the Bible's going to say that this battle is methodical and this battle is ancient. And it has been waging since the very, very, very beginning. The truth is, the Bible's gonna say that we are born into a conflict. Every single one of us is born into enemy-occupied territory. And the scripture's gonna teach us this. Now, we have an enemy, but what do we know about him? What do we know about him? Well, in weeks to come, we're gonna talk more about our enemy, but let me just give you a little bit of what we know and what we don't. The Bible's actually gonna tell us a fair amount about him, but there's a bunch of stuff we still don't know. So let me just tell you what the Bible does say. So what do we know about our enemy? First off, we know he was created. Our enemy was created. Now, the reason this is important is because sometimes there's this false concept that God and Satan are equals. They're opposites and equals of each other. And so whatever God is, Satan is the equivalent, but he's just the, the evil side of that. And so God is all-powerful. That means that Satan is also all-powerful. God is, you know, uh, he's, he's omnipresent. He can be everywhere at one time, so Satan must be omnipresent. And they're constantly warring, and it's basically an equal match. And sometimes God is winning, and sometimes Satan is winning. It's almost like if you were watching the, the polls, you know, this, this week with the different states. It's like, oh, it's so close, it's so close. Some people think that's what it's like with, with spiritual warfare. Sometimes Satan's winning, sometimes it's just like 50-50. And let me just say, it's not like that. Okay, that's not what it's like. The Bible's gonna tell us, no, he was created. The enemy was created, which means he's limited, which means that he is restricted geographically. He can't be everywhere. He doesn't know everything. And uh, so the Bible's going to tell us that he was created. Here's another thing we know. We know that his goal is that he wants to steal, steal kill, and destroy. This is what Jesus Christ said about our enemy. He said that his goal, his whole ambition is that he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Let me just tell you about our enemy. He hates you. I mean, he hates you. He hates your kids. He hates your family. He hates your faith. He hates your God. He hates this church. He hates your life group. He hates your marriage. He is not for anything. He is against everything. That is our enemy. His whole ambition is he wants to take from you everything that God wants that is good for you. That's what he wants. He wants your marriage to die. That's what he's after. He wants you to be estranged from your children. That's what he wants. He wants your faith to be gone, and he wants you to think that God is a liar. And so the Bible's gonna tell us that his whole ambition is to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to divide, divide your family. He wants to take your faith. He wants to divide this church. That's what he's after. 
Let me tell you something else the Bible says about our enemy. The Bible says that, man, he is powerful and he is dangerous. He is a formidable foe. You know, you know what the Bible's gonna say? What Peter says about our enemy? Here's what he says. He says, be alert and of sober mind because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion and he is looking for someone to devour. That's some strong language. You know what that tells me about our enemy? It tells me at least three things. First off, it tells me that he's a roaring lion, which means that he's part of the cat family, which I always, I knew that, and I just, I just needed biblical evidence for it, and now there it is. So, now, but seriously, you know what it tells me? Here's what it does tell me. It tells me that he's dangerous, very powerful, and very, did you know that Michael the archangel, that even he wouldn't rebuke Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you to Satan. And so let me just say that this whole like cutesy thing of like, not today, Satan. I'm like, I wouldn't talk to him. He's a powerful, formidable foe. The Bible's gonna tell us that. The other thing this tells me, you know what it tells me? It tells me that he's a hunter, that he's a hunter. He's, he's seeking to devour, prey. Now let me ask you, some of you are hunters in this room. If you're a hunter, do you care if your prey sees you? And I, I would say this, uh, you actually prefer that they don't. You prefer that they don't. I think that the enemy, that he doesn't want you to know. In fact, some of you are like, I don't believe in all this kind of stuff. I don't believe in Satan. Reminds me of The Usual Suspects. You guys ever see the movie The Usual Suspects? Remember the line? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Some of you believe in Satan, some of you don't. But let me just say, Satan is not after your recognition. He is after your destruction. That's his goal. And so, so we're gonna be told some stuff about him. We're told some stuff, but there's some stuff we don't know. There's stuff we don't know. So let me, let me just get rid of some misconceptions real quick. We actually don't know exactly what he looks like. The Bible's gonna say he's an angel, but he's a fallen angel, so we don't really have a perception of what he looks like. Uh, the Bible's gonna call him a serpent. It's gonna say that he masquerades as an angel of light. The Bible's gonna say that he's a dragon, and there's, a lot of this is metaphor, speaking metaphorically, but we don't know what he looks like. Now, the reason I tell you that is because uh, what I can tell you is that he doesn't look like this, all right? So the whole notion that he's like a dude wearing a red suit with, a, you know, with horns and all that, I don't know where that came from. The whole cartoon-esque picture of who Satan is is just, it's not true, all right? So we don't know what he looks like. Here's the other thing. We actually don't know his name. So believe it or not, this, some of you may have never known this before. We actually don't know what his name is. We call him Satan, but that's actually not a proper name. That's not a proper name. Uh, translated properly, it's actually the Satan is what it is. And Satan uh, just simply means a, uh, adversary. It means opposer. That's what it means. Uh, not a poser, but a opposer. He's, a, he's an opposer. Uh, he's also called the devil. The devil's not a proper name. The devil just means accuser. That's what it means. He's called a serpent. Some people think his name is Lucifer. That's not accurate. That's based off of a false translation of a passage in the Old Testament. None of that's true. We don't know his name. He's just called the accuser, the opposer. He's called, uh, he's called the liar. He's called the devil. He's called the Satan. He's called the serpent. He's called a lot of different things, but he doesn't have a name. Here, here's the other thing we don't know. We actually don't know exactly where he is. We're not sure where he's at. And, and what I mean by that is like, the idea that Satan is everywhere is not true. He's created. He's geographically limited. And so we don't know if he's in the Middle East somewhere. We don't know if he's in our country. We don't know. Some people, someone told me yesterday that they could build a good case that he's in Ann Arbor, Michigan uh, from that team up north. 
which I couldn't, I think that there's probably something to that. So, but we don't, we don't really know, we don't really know where he, where he is, okay? So all I'm telling you is the Bible doesn't explain everything about our enemy, but it tells us enough to know that he's real and that we need to take this seriously. We need to take this all seriously. And so the Bible's gonna say the battle's spiritual, it's methodical. And then lastly, and this, this is gonna lead into what we're gonna talk about for the next weeks, it's personal. The battle's deeply personal. I really want you to understand this. Uh, What the apostle Paul is gonna say is he's gonna say that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now, again, this is a very interesting word choice on his part. He could have said our war is not against flesh and blood, but he doesn't use that word. And he could have said that our our, our combat or our conflict is spiritual, but he doesn't use that word either. He uses the word struggle. And the word struggle in the Greek language is literally the word that would have been used for athletes who were wrestling in the Olympic Games, wrestlers. It's hand-to-hand combat. So let me ask you a question real quick. Have any of you ever wrestled someone before? Like maybe some of you wrestled in high school. Maybe you, I see you back here. You probably wrestle your brother, I'm guessing. So um, we all wrestle. Now let me ask you a question. When you wrestle someone, how close are you to them? Closer than you ever wanna be right? They are up in your business, and it's close. And, and that's the word he uses. He says, listen, this battle, listen, for those of us who follow Jesus, this battle is not like out there. It's not just in Washington, D.C. It's not just in these terrible things that we see in the media. The Bible's going to say that the battle is close, that it is a personal battle. In fact, it's so close. What I want to show you in the next weeks is that the battleground of this war is largely between your ears, That's where this battle is. It is in our worldview, it is in our mind, it is in our belief system, it is in the lies that we believe. The Bible's gonna say that's the primary place that this battle is held. So it's so important that we understand the nature of this battle. It's so important that we understand it's spiritual, it's methodical, and it's personal. I love the way that uh, Dennis McCallum put it. He wrote a great book called Satan and His Kingdom. I would highly recommend this book. He said this, After nearly 40 years of ministry, I'm still surprised that people know so little about Satan. When he brought evil into the world, it changed the course of human history. Arguably, next to God, Satan is the most important being to learn about. And I think he's right about that. The truth is, if if you omit the enemy, uh, well, first off, if you remove him from the Bible, your Bible will become so much less coherent. It just won't make sense. The Bible won't make sense if you remove the enemy. It's almost like reading Harry Potter and saying that Voldemort isn't real. The story makes no sense. And the Bible makes no sense if you read it that way. And let me just also say this. I think if you omit the enemy, it makes your life less coherent. Because I believe that if we, if we don't understand that there's a war that's being waged, we're, we're going to set ourselves up for all kinds of disillusionment, for all kinds of frustration, and for all kinds of defeat. If we think that this life is a playground, and the ultimate goal of this life is to have fun and enjoy ourselves, and we don't understand that this life is also a battleground, then I think we're gonna be set up for disillusionment, for frustration, and for defeat. But if we can see, if we can see that there's a battle that's being waged, and we can know how to fight and stand within it, I think we can find victory over it. And that's what this series is about. And so the question might be, well, how do we do that then? How do we do that? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about in the next weeks to come. Ephesians chapter six is gonna show us how we stand in the victory of these things. So I'm gonna ask the band to come up and as they do, before we get a chance to sing together, I just have to say one last thing. I just have to say this because I'd be remiss if I didn't. 
There's one more aspect about this battle that you need to know about, and especially for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, that we're gonna be talking about this in weeks to come. But here's what I want you to know, that yes, this battle is spiritual. Yes, the battle is methodical. Yes, it's personal. But you have to understand that it is a finished battle. It's finished. And the Bible is going to tell us that Jesus Christ is the one who has come to win this battle. Look what it says in Ephesians 6. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here's how he's gonna start. He's gonna say, you need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So whatever we know about this war, here's one thing that we know for sure, that it is not about mustering up your own strength and it's not about doing this on your own. There is, pay, there is power and there is strength and there is resources that are available because of Jesus Christ. We can't do it without him. The Bible's gonna say that he came to win this war. In fact, this is what it says in Colossians. It's gonna say that Jesus disarmed, notice the language, the powers and the authorities, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So Jesus won this battle for us in a decisive victory on the cross. The Bible's gonna say in 1 John that the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And so what you need to understand if you're a follower of Christ is that yes, we have an enemy and yes, he is formidable, but we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory, the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, how do we stand in that victory? That's what we're gonna talk about in weeks to come. Now, some of you maybe don't follow Jesus and maybe you're not a follower of Christ. And let me just say that now might be a really great time for you to put your hope and to put your trust in him. You can do that. You can put your hope in him and your trust and your faith and follow him. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for, for revealing to us what's true, even in places that we don't understand and places we don't see. And so God, we look to your word to understand you and to understand your heart and we look to your word to understand ourselves and humanity. And God, we look to your word to understand the nature of how things really work. And Father, you're so gracious to tell us that there's more going on than meets the eye, that our battle and our struggle is not just flesh and blood. There's a spiritual component to this. So Lord, we can see, we, we agree. There's something, there's something not right in this world. And there is uh, there is a, a problem that has existed as long as we know humanity has been here. God, something seems to be wrong. Father, we look inside of ourselves and we see that there is, there is a battle, there is a struggle. And Father, thank you that you've helped us to illuminate what that is. And so I pray over the next weeks that you would help us, God, help us and show us and teach us how we can stand in this battle and how we can find the victory that you have purchased for us. I pray for the person who's investigating you, that maybe even through this, or that you would speak to them and that you would invite them and they might respond to you, might respond to you. And so God, as we have a chance to worship and sing right now, I pray that as we do, we would, we would join all of heaven and praise you and worship you for the victory that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name, amen.